Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out, no matter how hard it rains. In my city. episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at Hawk Blogger. And we've got a fun show tonight. We are going to do something that we have never done before. In fact, it's not something I've ever seen others do before. We may be breaking new ground and we'll be doing it thanks to my co-host tonight, Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. Unfortunately, choosing to wear a matching shirt with me today <laughs> uh we should have planned a little bit better jeff this feels like we're almost wearing 49ers garb with this uh how are you doing man <laughs> felt a lot better before you said that to me yeah uh, otherwise yeah. i'm doing good man it's uh it's a good time of year uh, summer's getting still going uh, i'm finally in football mode there was a period in july where like you almost forget the football's coming and then once training camp starts and there's stuff to read every day and me and you are talking all day and it's funny, probably prompted the idea for the show, but it's funny. I mean, you did so many shows about the draft and you almost forget about all these players you fell in love with. It's funny just seeing all these names pop up day after day. That, I mean, that's part of what's going on here. So, so for folks that don't know, um, this is a this is an impromptu show, and uh, yes, sorry, Cam, I'm not going to turn my hat backwards. Uh, this is my look. That's Jeff's look. But Jeff and I can't help ourselves. Those of you that follow the show, and those of you that are Patreon subscribers, especially Patreon.com/slash/HawkBlogger, uh, get immediate access to the Slack channel. Been following all of our pre-draft obsessions and all our mock drafts over the the preseason and over the, the the draft season know how much jeff and i obsessed about players and we had our favorites we had guys that we wanted the seahawks to pick and so now invariably you're not going to get all of those players on your team that's just a math fact and so then you can't help but kind of look and see how are some of those guys doing and when you see a report on them you're like, ah, like, all right, maybe we dodged a bullet there. Oh, man, that was a guy I really believed in. So Jeff and I have been kind of trading back tweets from various uh, player reports and how they're doing in, in the camp so far. And what Jeff suggested 
was it wasn't even a suggestion. It was a question. It was, what do you think you would have done at these different spots the Seahawks were at, knowing who they actually picked? If you were the GM, how would the Seahawks haul have been different than what it turned out to be? And that's just that's just fantastic podcast fodder. So we decided to have that conversation live with all of you. We have not planned for this since this is something that I don't really think anyone else has done where you go through for each pick after it's been done and say who you would have picked instead based off who was available different than a mock draft where you kind of are guessing who might be available. And this is, we know who would have been available. And so Jeff and I are going to tell you who we would have picked at that spot in the draft. And we're going to see where our drafts would have been potentially different than Seahawks. So Jeff, the timing of this a little odd, like, you know, probably if we had thought about this, maybe, you know, a week or two after the draft would have been good. Um, maybe in three years, looking back at this draft, it would make sense to people re-rack drafts. We're doing this at a time where at least we're going to get our points of view on the books ahead of the regular season, ahead of when actual games are played and ahead of when even most preseason games are played. So it's not so late. So tell me what has been going on in your head regarding, before we get into the actual picks, how are you feeling about the Seahawks draft up until now? Still relatively good. I still really liked basically everything they did. Um, I still feel very similar in terms of how I felt the day. I think the round one picks really really set this team up really nicely day two to me is still bothersome and the fact that charbonnet got injured early in camp he's back now that made me a little queasy and day three still seems good but it's funny that there's just some players that slipped through the cracks i almost forgot about it at first i did think the timing of the show when we talked about it was kind of weird but the more i've thought about today it actually makes a lot of sense preseason starts this week a lot of these names that we're going to talk about, we're going to see them for the first time. And it's still hard not to evaluate that Seahawks and think of that one very, very obvious hole. And me and you did so many mock drafts and so many times where we wanted to really build up the trenches of the team. And coming into the season, the Seahawks look pretty, pretty good everywhere. But the question mark of the team is still the trenches. And that it's going to pretty much define this season, whether they take steps in that because their corner group, their skill group, and what they did to emphasize those in the draft have best in the league ceilings, but it's just that area that killed us last year. We had all this capital. We're like, okay, we got to get tougher. We got it bigger. I still wonder about that. And that question is going to linger until we see them in action and we see the ones play really. Yeah. And I think this is kind of an important question before we get into this, because this isn't meant to be a referendum on the Seahawks draft. I don't think either one of us are feeling like, man, they really blew it. And man, like this is a situation where we've got to go and put our two cents in before all these guys play, because we want to prove that we were right. In fact, I I'm, you know, I love what I, I think. Look, I've been telling people this outside the, the pod, but, the Seahawks had a very strong case to be made for having offensive and defensive rookie of the year last year. That is rare. Yeah. That is very 
rare. And they had a really strong case on both sides of the ball. I think there is a very good chance that they could be in play for offensive and defensive rookie of the year again. I do believe that that's a real possibility with Witherspoon, Witherspoon and sorry, Witherspoon and with JSN. I think that's a real possibility. And now they did not win offensive or defensive rookie of the year last year, but I don't know if there's ever been a team that even if they get second or third place that has had two rookies in back-to-back years on opposite sides of the ball, finish in the top five in the voting that, and I think that's a very realistic chance for the Seahawks. So I am really excited about this draft class. Um, obviously I've been a little bit more pessimistic about Derek Hall. We'll get into that as we go through this. I, you know, definitely would not have picked a running back in the second round, even though I'm very excited and very bullish on Zach Charbonnet as a runner and as a fit. Um, there's a few other things I would have done differently and we'll get into that. But I mean, even Kenny McIntosh is looking like he may be a good addition. I know he's out with some injury for the next couple of weeks. Thankfully it was nothing more serious in the mock game. But yeah, I think you and I both feel pretty good about this draft class. And this is just a chance to kind of go back through. And I'm curious. I honestly don't know, Jeff. I don't know where things, maybe it'll be really boring. And we'll just be like, yeah, we would have picked the same guy the Seahawks did. I don't know. But I don't think that's how it's going to play out. Okay. Let's get started. And, you know, there's a couple different ways to go through this. Let's mostly focus on what we'll have you and I up uh, on screen. I am going to share my screen at a few different points for us to talk through what actually went, went on. So I'm going to start by doing that. And um, unfortunately I have not found a version of this screen that lets me do it in a way I want, but I will just share this for now. Um, let's go ahead and Share screen, and we'll go over here. Okay. Um, entire screen. Okay. So, unfortunately, you're seeing this massive, big PFF draft show recap. Um, what we're really focused on here is the the draft recap on the right hand side, this column. So, I don't know. Are you able to see that, Jeff? Yeah, and yeah, pretty clear. And let me zoom in a little bit more. That'll make it a little bit. Yeah, less, that's better. That's a little better. A little bit less focus on that. A little bit more focus here. So, let's kind of relive this for a second, Jeff. You and I didn't get to spend the first round together. You were busy doing real work. Um, yeah. So as this this kind of developed, Bryce Young goes first. It was not really a surprise at that point. CJ Stroud goes second. This was a little bit of a question. What were you thinking at this point? That was a shocker to me because all that stuff had come out at the time that the Texans were taking Will Anderson or Tyree Wilson. And so at the time I was so focused on one of Anderson or Carter falling to five. And that seemed to set up the scenario where that would happen. And so I was, when Stroud got taken, I was kind of floored. And then I shifted to Seattle really quickly and that changed pretty quick. Yeah, so 
I, I was not super shocked about the Stroud pick. And honestly, I was not shocked by this trade. We talked about it real time. Um, I think it's, I think it should be on, on our episode that we did. I had even talked about this in the, the, some of the mocks leading up to this, where I thought there was a real chance that Arizona, sorry, that um, Houston would try to get both Will Anderson and their quarterback and trade up from 12. And that was a concern of mine. They ended up doing it. They got panned for it for, you know, they gave up a ton. I can't believe what they gave up in terms of their first round pick next year. They gave up their first round pick in order to do this. I don't think Will Anderson's that good of a player to do that. Um, I think he's very good ad, but that was not a move I would have made. But they made it. So that changed the draft for the Seahawks. That's the first time that the draft kind of altered because I'm, I think we're both pretty aligned. This would have been the Seahawks pick if he was available at five. Yeah. 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 Brady, Brady Henderson basically reported that he was the top guy on the board. Yeah. So then we get pretty quickly to what was the pick before the Seahawks. And this was another pivot point. A lot of folks, I mean, this probably feels ancient even now. It was only a few months ago. There were, I mean, what percentage of Seahawks fan base do you think Jeff was really crossing their fingers for Anthony Richardson to be the Seahawks pick? Probably like 35 to 40. Yeah, it was a significant chunk of folks who were all in on Anthony Richardson. I think, you know, if Anthony Richardson ends up being a fantastic quarterback, then the statement I'm about to make is probably not true. But I think there's a pretty good case to be made that Anthony Richardson getting picked at four was a massive gift to the Seahawks fan base because I think if he had not been picked there, there's really good reason to believe the Seahawks would not have picked him at five. And God help. Devin Witherspoon, who would have been the pick still at that yeah. spot, knowing that a bunch of Seahawks fans would have been irate and would have always held Devin Witherspoon up against Anthony Richardson. I don't think that's the case with Devin Witherspoon right now. I think he's getting a clean slate to prove himself independent of other players. I don't think there's a player that people are like, ah, holding up that this is the guy we should have drafted. Yeah, and the crazy thing was a lot of the reporting and some of the stuff that came out, the Colts had Richardson as the number one player on their board. They would have taken him number one. So for all that going back and forth, there was no scenario where Seattle would have got Richardson unless they traded up. So it's a funny time how much time we spent debating these players. and <laughs> There was... Not a single scenario that play in the Texans Colts game basically gave got them their quarterback. So all that time and all that energy was almost moot because I'm like you, but the reporting was pretty clear. Seattle would not have taken Richardson. I can't remember who reported it, but it was reported that there was someone either in ownership or the front office that did not want to allocate that kind of uh, capital and money into a player that was not going to play this year. So before we get into our pick at five, which we're about to do, I want to get your take. There are a lot of people, including folks in, in the Seahawks in the Real Hawk Talk chat um, on the from the pod who are 
kind of surprised and maybe a little bit disappointed that Devin Witherspoon is looking like the starting nickel corner and not the starting outside corner. Now it's not decided yet. He could still start in both places. He could slide inside all that kind of stuff. But let's assume for a second that he is your nickel corner and either Mike Jackson or Trey Brown are playing opposite of reek woolen. Um, and by the way, for folks that aren't paying attention, haven't followed he now prefers to be called Requel instead of Tariq, so it's R-I-Q. It will take a little while to get used to, but that is his his name and is his choice. Uh, are you are you looking at that as an indictment about Witherspoon, an indication that he is not the player that we needed to draft at five? Absolutely not. I think it's been completely misunderstood by a lot of people. Um, eight. The way the NFL shifted, nickel is almost a starting – nickel is basically a starting spot, especially with the Seahawks linebacker situation. They're going to be a nickel a ton. And having a guy who can play nickel as like a, a weapon, the way he can hit and the way he can add to the run support and then the way he can cover, that is a really, really valuable spot for them. Like week one, let's go into the – they're playing the Rams. The nickel corner is going to cover Cooper Cup. That is a hugely important job. Um, when they play the 49ers, Kobe Bryant had some good moments last year, but he got beat a lot out of that nickel spot. And again, it's August 7th. So there's, it's highly possible. He wins one of the outside jobs. And the fact that I, Seattle's talked about this. I heard you talking about this on your uh, appearance with Mitch earlier in the week. They're going to be in dime a lot. So that third cornerback is really, really valuable. It doesn't mean he's the only number third three cornerback. That's just where he's starting. And like Richard Sherman, for example, didn't play until week eight or nine. Like I, I wouldn't put any concern in the fact that he's starting. And the fact that they, Trey Brown, apparently has been one of the best players in camp. And now the fact that we get all three of them on the field, to me, that's a really advantageous situation. I don't see any issue with that at all, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I understand the notion of you want to get a guy that's playing every snap, you know, opposite of, of Woolen. That makes sense. And I certainly want to make sure that Seahawks have the best corners out there. <clears throat> I don't think this is a, an indication that, that Witherspoon is not one of their best corners, one of their top two corners. I think that there is reason to believe that, that Kobe Bryant was just not one of the four best or even five best cornerbacks on this roster. And so then you're looking at, all right, so let's say that Witherspoon starts opposite Woolen and who's playing nickel. And I don't know that they've got as much confidence in either Trey Brown or Michael Jackson to play that role. I think you could have Julian love, but then that has a safety implication. And I think if you really just look at the cornerback group and you say, who's the best nickel cornerback, the best slot cornerback, I think 100 out of 100 times you're going to say it's Devin Witherspoon. Yeah. He is shifty. He is a playmaker. He's instinctive. He's going to make plays on the ball. He's going to be a good blitzer. He's a good run supporter. He is smart. He diagnoses things. He can do everything you want at that position. He's got very unique skill set to, to play. People forget how many impact nickels there have been. Guys like Chris Harris Jr. is a good example. This guy has been an all-pro level nickel corner that absolutely had massive impact on the game. 
And I think that that's a good comp for what Witherspoon could could have here. And it doesn't preclude him from sliding back outside. So I, I don't think I don't think that's the case. I think there's nickel cornerbacks that can can only play nickel. That's not Witherspoon. I think he can play both. Agreed. And look, if you're gonna get then Trey Brown or Michael Jackson plus Willen plus Witherspoon all in the field for seventy percent of the time, I think that that's good. So anyway, we're not gonna spend all night on this. We'll talk about the, probably some of that more another time. But I didn't want to touch on that because. I'm going to tell you, Jeff, I would have picked someone other than Witherspoon at this spot. It has nothing to do, nothing, nothing, nothing to do with my perception of him as a player that he's not good or he's only going to be a nickel. I am very, very excited by all the reports I'm seeing. I can't wait to see him on the field. That has nothing to do with my point of view. And in fact, I'll just say all of my picks I'll make tonight have nothing to do with what I've heard about the players on the field. This is purely trying to recreate what I would have done in the moment if I had been in that spot. Okay, let's get started, man. Seahawks are on the clock, fifth pick, and they picked Devin Witherspoon. Um, I want to know who your first pick would have been if you had been the GM. If you had been in John Schneider's shoes, would you have picked Witherspoon? Would you have picked somebody else? And we're not going to do trades, so like we can take that off the, the, the books, but um, what would you have done at five? It's a really hard question to answer because my answer, I don't have the full picture. And so much of this evaluation was not a football evaluation. But, so all I can do is make a football evaluation. And again, this is not a knock on Witherspoon. Brian, you have the text messages to verify this. I was really high on Witherspoon the entire process. And he was a guy called the legitimate plan. And when they took him, I, I remember you guys were kind of surprised. I, I was pretty excited. And like you were just explaining, Witherspoon's the kind of player he's, he's not just going to be known for his coverage and the way he hits and the energy he brings is a lot like kind of what Earl Thomas brought. Not doesn't have that kind of range, but that, what he can do for a defense. But as much as I like Witherspoon and Detroit would have taken him six, that was their guy. So it's not like they reached, but I don't have the full picture, but to me, Knowing where this team's holes was and knowing I would have rolled the dice a bit and taken Jalen Carter. And that might've been a huge whiff. Again, a lot of it, it Witherspoon is an A plus character evaluation and that's what makes this so tricky. But having a top five pick to me is so rare. And I know again, Jalen Carter, the whole thing is off the field and that's probably where the Seahawks went against him. But, but on the field, Having that dominant interior presence is so hard to find. And as good as Draymond Jones is, Draymond Jones is not. He's more of the 3-4 end. He's more like – you don't build your interior defensive line around like a Michael Bennett-style player. Michael Bennett complements it perfectly, but the Seahawks don't have a guy like that anywhere, and they don't really have a path to getting that without paying $20 million a year for it. So I would have rolled the dice knowing that you had other picks. Again, this is ignoring the football – off the field stuff because we just don't have access to that information. I'm totally happy with Witherspoon. I love the player. He would have been my next pick, but to me, Jalen Carter was, would have been the guy. So I think that we, we can only make the picks based off the information we have. So I, I think that that's a totally fair caveat to share that, Hey, 
we didn't get to talk to these guys. We don't know the character or the medical assessments or anything else. We didn't get to talk to their coaches or their teammates. There's all sorts of things that we didn't get. We didn't get to watch the same amount of tape or uh, tons of, we don't know as much about football as the guys that are actually like, there's all that should be clear. We're going to tell you who we would have picked with the information we had and why we would have picked them. And so I think that makes sense. I'll double down there. I, I, we've got video of me. We don't have video of you at this point. I, I would have absolutely picked Jalen Carter and I was not at all upset about Devin Witherspoon. I'm excited. I was excited at that moment about Devin Witherspoon as a player, but I really, really was hoping that the Seahawks found what they needed to find to make Jalen Carter an okay pick. And for me, having done a million mock drafts and through this and seen what the team needs and what they were going to get. For me, it was no question that you had to roll the dice on Jalen Carter. He might be, end up being the best player in this class, which is saying a lot. Cause I think this is a better class than a lot of people give it credit for. And if he worked out, he was going to be an absolute pillar for this defense and a total game changer. So uh, I was willing to roll the dice um, and Jalen Carter would have been my pick. So you and I are the same here. Now, one of the things that's going to get complicated is we haven't really thought through this in great detail is as we're going through, we're not going to really say, okay, what would be the butterfly effect of us having no, Jalen Carter and who would have the Eagles picked instead of like, we're not going to do all that. We're going to go to the next pick based on all the guys that were available there. And we are going to tell you who we would have picked next. So uh, this is a flaw. You can pick at it if you'd like, but we're not going to then say, yeah, the Eagles would have picked so-and-so and the Lions would have stayed at six and picked Witherspoon. Like, no way. We can't figure all that out. So we're just going to go. Um, yes, I see Carrie uh, talking on the chat saying, I was very disappointed with Witherspoon picking me up. I was disappointed that they didn't pick Jalen Carter. That is different than being disappointed that they picked Witherspoon, if that makes any sense. This is similar to, even though D. Eskridge has been a total bust, my disappointment with them picking D. Eskridge had very little to do with D. Eskridge. It had everything to do with Creed Humphrey and with the center position that I wanted them to address. I wanted them to tell us that Jalen Carter was okay to pick. I was very crestfallen when i found out that they didn't feel that way that's my option i i I get that but i was so nervous about tyree wilson (laughs) yeah and this is just how my brain works because the seahawks have burned us so many years in the draft and i hadn't ready i had i just haven't seen them and so when they came up and will levis and tyree wilson and wilson was a guy i really liked early in the process but as we got closer i got nervous about his foot i got nervous about and he hasn't practiced in training camp yet and I was so nervous that they would take Tyree Wilson, who was just like the guy I think all of Seahawks Twitter agreed would be the wrong pick. And when they took someone else, I was just so relieved. But I really liked Witherspoon. I, I talked about him before the draft. He was maybe the most fun in terms of film. But to me, like that whole draft process was spent the whole year trying to f- track Will Anderson, Jalen Carter. And when those three quarterbacks, when I said it right when the draft order came out, the three quarterbacks go, the Seahawks are getting one of those guys. And so they did go a little differently, but again, Will, it's not like they went off the board. This guy was going to be the sixth pick in the draft, and Detroit moved down because he was gone. And if you watch this guy's film and you read some of the 
training camp reports the other day, like Jamal Adams and Bobby, they're screaming from the kind of energy that this guy's bringing in practice. So things are going well. It's just, I'm with you. Jalen Carter to me has all pro defensive tackle ceiling. And it's very possible he flames out, but I would have rolled the dice on that. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the 20th pick. And at this point, I mean, Klyja Kansi was a guy that I had talked about a lot. He was gone. The Seahawks uh, on the clock at 20. Um, I'm curious, Jeff, would you have picked someone different here? I would not. And I don't know why. Every so often, I our social team cut a video of your guys' reaction during the JSN pick. And I, I kind of watch this every every now and again because the first thing you say, Brian, is somewhere Jeff Simmons is celebrating and smiling. And honestly, since I've been following the Seahawks, I don't think there's one other time in the first round, and I was actually thinking of all the picks today in my mind, where they took the guy I wanted. I don't think there's a single other time. Like some of the best picks, Earl Thomas, like I never considered him because I thought he would go. JSN was a guy like that was like a dream scenario for him to fall to 20 at all. And even if he did, I didn't think they would take him. So I think the most excited I've ever been in any Seahawks pick since I've been following this team was that pick because it just, everything was just, I think me and you, if we were on the clock would have had an interesting fight here though, (laughs) because there's someone else who I know me and you both really liked. And I know exactly who you're, who you're going after right now. Yeah. That would have been if me and you are running the team, me and you would have had a fight on the clock there because Jason was just my guy. And like hearing that he's like lighting up camp is just making me so happy. But the guy you just went down to see, that would have been a really interesting decision. Yeah. I don't know if we would have had the same fight that you think. So I'll put you up here on the board with uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. And this is pretty boring so far, dude, because I'm the same. I, I, I would have I would have gone. So I had I had a lot of respect for JSN and belief for where he fit and the I mean, there is some chance that maybe Zay Flowers would have been some question for me because all the receivers were available at this point. Um I absolutely was interested in Nolan Smith. Nolan Smith was a real high fit for me. I thought he was a great fit. And so, yeah, I, there's a part of me that might have gone that direction just because I prefer defense to offense. But if I was really looking at who is the highest quality, highest, like just sure bet, quality starting player jsn was just checked all the boxes he fit exactly the spot that they needed on offense and just made this offense so much more dangerous so i i kind of thought about this pick earlier today and i was like would i have gone that same direction and i'm pretty sure i would have i'm pretty sure i would have so this this one nolan smith would have been a, a debate but mostly i think i would have ended up in the same place Okay, that's yeah. To me, I think teams are going to really regret that they didn't take him earlier. And just seeing how smooth he looks, and now we have the Deescrich suspension, and his future of the team looks cloudy. Not having that third receiver 
really, they'd be in trouble right now. And yep. Derek Young is banged up too. He's got a hip or a potential hernia situation. And if they don't take, it's funny enough that Schneider kind of admitted after Zay Flowers was a guy that they considered here. Yep. And if JSN's gone, it might have been Flowers. And that would have been an interesting debate between us if it was Flowers or Nolan Smith. But JSN just, to me, was such a dream scenario. I thought it was a pipe dream, to be honest. I, as we got close to the draft, I didn't think there was any way. Once Green Bay moved up, especially in that Rodgers trade, it seemed like they were just positioning for him. And I think a team like that is really going to rue the day they did not take him. He is just – he's such a good prospect. I mean, we were seeing mock drafts with him going well into the top 10. I think I've seen – I saw mock drafts him going at 7, you know, like – and – there is not a single person anywhere, analyst or otherwise, who I've heard say, what were the Seahawks thinking? <laughs> nobody questioned. Honestly, nobody questioned really either of the picks. I, I heard people were surprised about Witherspoon, but nobody like thinks it was a bad pick. So um, they knocked it out of the park in the first round with their first two picks. Uh I think JSN was just a so projectable and, and when you can project someone to be a pro bowl level player and you have high confidence in that, that's a pretty easy pick to make. Um, even though I feel really good about Nolan Smith fit and his upside, I don't think his, my confidence that he was going to be a pro bowl player was nearly as high as it would be with JSN. If you guys want like a good laugh, put on the video of that draft show that Brian, Evan and Nathan did and listen to the sound Nathan makes when they both read the pick, it will make you like it is. It's like, sounds like that Vikings foghorn when they score a touchdown. You got to listen to this. Uh, it's pure joy. It's so fun to hear from Nathan. Like, yes, Nathan and Derek are so excited when the Seahawks draft receivers. There's no doubt. It's, it's a very, very uh, joyous moment. Um, and it is interesting. I mean, what we've heard about some of these receivers, we're not going to co- totally go back into all these, but. Quentin Johnson has been Johnson has been pretty good for the Chargers so far. At least that there's there's some good reports there. Zay Flowers has been pretty good reports on what he's doing in Baltimore. I've seen some pretty good reports on Jordan Addison as well. So yeah, I mean, maybe there wasn't really a bad receiver pick. That, and Jalen Hyatt is getting a lot of hype um, and, and how he's performing, and he went much later. But anyway, um, I'm I was very happy with that pick. Um, Mazzy Smith was another guy we talked about. I wouldn't have picked him at 20. I just no, wouldn't no, have. No, Especially no. having already picked Jalen Carter. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's now move into the second round. And we get down into pick number 37. This is where they picked Derek Hall. Now, do you need my help, Jeff, to kind of know who else was available here? Um, would it help for, for me to maybe talk about who I would have picked here first? What, what would be most useful to you? Yeah, you can start that. The thing that would have been interesting before you get going. Yeah, go. I would have – Nolan Smith slipped to 30. I would have been begging us to move up into the first round with this pick. And if you could come out with JSN, Nolan Smith, and Jalen Carter, it's not a realistic scenario for here, but, man – Going from 37 to like 29 or something, that would have been really interesting. But yeah. yeah. Would have been costly though. And we would have it would have definitely you gotta give up given up picks, probably. Yeah. Yeah. You would have given up a couple picks probably to get there. But yeah. well, um let's, let's stick with the players available. 
Yeah, so, so 37, I mean, everyone, I hope Derek Hall just ends up balling out and is a great player and um, just everyone gets to shove it in my face. This is probably the, the pick I was maybe least excited about in the first few days. Um, and I, in my world, we would have had our, our defensive tackle, Jalen Carter. We would have had JSN. And the next highest like need that I wanted to address on my board was probably center. Um, I wanted to be tough on both sides of the ball. So I would I would have wanted the best center or guard available. Um, now Avila went here right before the Seahawks. Yeah. Um, the two guys that would have come up for me as real options, um, are Cody Malk, the guard tackle out of, uh, was it Montana, Wyoming? I can't remember. He had some small North Dakota state, North Dakota state, something. Yeah. Something small. And then, um, John Michael Schmitz. And I, I had gotten right before the draft where I was trying to take a center a little bit later. Yeah. Um, so it's possible I could have looked at some kind of edge. I could have potentially been talked into BJ Ojolari. Um, that was a guy that I think I was interested in. Um, I could have potentially gone uh, after Ju- Julius Brent. Go for it, yeah. Uh, I loved Brian Branch. So but this is I, the one that I would have been. This would have made me think. I mean, it would a hundred percent. You and I were both super high on him. I just don't know how I could have justified it. Well, he'd be the nickel. That's a good point. That's. I mean, that's a good point. I. I. I may have been swayed there, but the thing is, like guys like Keon White and. Jervin Dexter and some of these, and I would have not had to think about those guys really because they just, they weren't critical to me because I would have gotten Jalen Carter. So I'm going to say I would have likely picked John Michael Schmitz here. Um, and I don't know that's for sure, but that's who I'm going to put down. Um, there would have been a hyphen there. Yeah. A lot of hyphen hyphenated names there. Um, that would have been where I would have gone. Where do you think you would have gone in, at this pick? It would have been really hard for me not to make the same push. Schmitz was the guy we wanted the whole process. It was the position we hyper-focused on. I think the pick I would have wanted to make there, though, was Brian Branch. I just think at forty, at pick 40, he was a guy that we were talking about as like a top 15 player. And if you come out with those three guys with still all those centers on the board – I would have just been like over the moon. I think that's a great pick. I I have no arguments with that. And that is a Ravens pick. Ironically, I think that's where he ended up, right? No, Detroit Lions. The Lions Lions took him and he's been getting, that was one of the conversations we had the other day. He's been getting really good reports out of their camp. And Witherspoon is now the nickel who's going to be a weapon and branch the, we don't know what Jamal Adams' future is. Jordan Love's on a short-term contract. Quandre Diggs, he restructured his deal, but that wasn't done at the time. So having like a, a nickel that can also be a safety to pair with these dime and nickel defenses. And again, we were talking about him as a guy like we would have been comfortable at 20 early in the process. Yep. And to get him at 40... I just would have been like, this is a no-brainer pick here. I think that's a great, uh, a really... 
astute pick, smart pick. And um, that would have been really interesting. I, I think he was a very, he's a very projectable player. Um, yeah. Tipman, interestingly, there's no conversation of him actually even competing for a starting spot. There's some debate about whether he's competing for the backup spot right now. So that's pretty interesting. He was a guy I was never super high on. Um, he was considered the best athlete at center, but was never the guy that really fit the profile I wanted. Um, but we'll see how that plays out. So I would have picked Schmitz. You would have picked Brown. I think that's, I think that's really interesting. Um, and you know what? Maybe no one else thinks this is interesting, but I'm actually enjoying this. So thanks, Jeff. Um, yeah. um, so then we get all the way down to the 52nd pick. And I'm pretty sure neither one of us would have picked Zach Charbonnet. Yeah? No, he wouldn't have even been in consideration for me. I would have I would have started I wouldn't have looked at running back until the third round, probably the fourth. So just as a reminder for you, um, you've got Jalen Carter, JSN, and Brian Branch. So you've got your interior defensive lineman, you've got a right receiver, and you got your nickel. What's your next draft priority? What are you looking for here? I would have been losing my mind right now. John Michael Schmitz is still there. Mm. He went, yeah, he went, he went a little bit later. And there was all those reports that the Seahawks had worked the centers out and they wanted to take him. If he's still sitting there at 52 and you can add him to that group, I that would have picked would have taken me half a second. All right. That is a good call. You now you are building up quite the draft board here from my perspective. Um, for me, I would look at look, I've got Jalen Carter, I've got JSN, and I've got John Michael Schmidt. So I've got center. I'd be looking at edge and not actually an edge, but like defensive end three, four defensive end would have been a position I was looking to add to someone opposite of uh, Draymond Jones. And I think that would have been a priority. I would have also potentially double dipped at guard. So I need to kind of take a look um, there. That's, that's my default pick here. Um, I was not as big of a fit with Osiris Torrance here. I think that would have been some conversation. Um, let me just take a quick look here and see if there's anyone that jumps off. Drew Sanders, maybe like linebacker might have shown up for me here. Trenton Simpson, I, I think, could have shown up. Um, yeah. But I'm going to go and say uh, I would have gone with um, Thule at this yeah. spot. And think about it. Right now, the starter at 3-4 end is Mario Williams. Uh, not Mario Williams. Mario Edwards, who's a guy who's been sort of a journeyman player. He's he's been around the league. He's a solid guy, but he's more of a street free agent level player at this point of his career. You put in a projectable starter outside of Draymond Jones, and you now have your defensive line of the future built in one draft with Carter and Thule and Draymond Jones. That group looks totally, totally different than Mario Edwards and Jaron Reed. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys are street level free agents at this point of their career. And they're solid players for one year, but do you want those guys starting next year? Well, and even then you could still bring those guys in and, you know, if if they're the right position, the right picks for this time of year or this, this time in the career, fine, but at least you're not defaulting 
to those guys and yeah, yeah. talking up, you know, Jaron Reed as, you know, this great addition at, at, at nose tackle. That's nose tackle in the league. <laughs> yes. All right. So then um, this is not going to show up on this list, but what happens for the Seahawks is they trade at 83. Yeah. Um, I'm going to come back to this and let's look at where 83 was picked. Um, so Denver took Riley Moss, a cornerback. Uh, I'm going to not trade this pick and see who you would have picked um, with this selection. And I'll say that given who was available here, I would have very likely taken um, either Trenton Simpson or Dorian Williams. I was pretty high on Dorian Williams. Those are the two guys that jumped out to me. But um, the truth is, I I mean, I can't lie, Jeff. I would have picked Darnell Washington. It would have been – it would have been harder. We didn't consider him in the second round, but he was guys we were taking – like I would find it hard to believe you went to taking them where you took Thule. And when we did those mock simulators, I, the only problem when you've been doing very have shifted towards offense. So we did these mock draft simulators. We wanted him in the second round. And it seemed like he was getting the first round buzz. And his issue was medical related from what I understood. So they, he might not have even been on the Seahawks board. But the reports from him at a camp so far are pretty impressive. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah was down there the other day and was just talking about how big he is. And he was going up apparently against TJ Watt in one-on-ones and holding up. And apparently he was listed at like 260 pounds. And Jeremiah was saying on TV, like, there's no freaking way. <laughs> He's, He's a monster. 260 pounds. He's a monster. And he was one of your favorite players the entire process. And just the thing we talked about is just kicking ass in the trenches. Mm-hmm. and this was supposed to be this great tight end draft, and the Seahawks have basically no players really you can count on beyond this season signed. Will Disley is the last year of his deal, which is like a dummy year, and we talk about ways to get tougher and stronger, and even if you only get him for a couple of years, you see what George Kittle does just in terms of the blocking game. I know it's boring, but there's no way you could have convinced me not to take this guy here. Um he was a guy I would have been comfortable taking 40. If someone said, this is the guy, he's our highest ranked player, I wouldn't have bad at nine. But like Trent Simpson, the linebacking room is another area where they don't have a great sustainable group moving forward. So if Simpson's your guy, he's a little faster. Henley's, Henley is like 230. Like he was so small and they had issues in run defense. So he didn't excite me that much. But getting a 6'7", 280 pound guy who can dominate in the trenches and again, think about the, this whole group now all of a sudden. They went from not addressing really the trenches to now you have Jalen Carter, John Michael Schmitz, and Darnell Washington, and you took Thule also. Your theme of this draft is just totally different than what they did. And I still love the Seahawks draft, but man, yep. I'm with you on this one. Uh, it's boring, but Darnell Washington all day. If you're just rolling the dice in the third round, even if you get two years out of him, it's worth it. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt. I mean, just toughness is is something that I think we were all looking for, and I think we I think we got some just really high quality players. 
uh, I think there's some question how much tougher we got. I think that when you take a cornerback, a smaller cornerback at that at five, you take a receiver at 20, you take, you know, an edge player, um, you know, 37 and then a running back at, you know, 52 or whatever it was. Yeah. I don't know that that's the toughest profile, you know, if if that's really what you're looking for. Um, So, all right, so let's keep going. We're going to, we're going to get down to round four now. And I don't know if we're going to go through every single pick. We'll, we'll see if, we, if we're still yeah. feeling like there's, there's benefit here. Now, remind me, do you remember if this pick was from that trade? Um, it was. It was. Part it of was. So let's not pick here. We don't, we're going to not take this pick, okay? I'm pretty sure I'm going to actually remove that. I'm reading now. It was for the third round pick next year and this 108 pick. So yeah. Let's get this off the board as a NA. Because the trade they made was great because that might be. It was a great trade. They might be capital they use next year to move up if they're looking at quarterbacks of the future and things like that. Well, let me ask you this. We're not going to change our thing here. Knowing that Darnell Washington was available and some of the other guys, would you have made that trade and foregone, foregone the chance to draft Darnell Washington? No, I wouldn't have made that trade. I think I just was so we were so high on Darnell Washington. He was both our guys, and again, it fit our theme so well in this draft of how you go up against San Francisco. And Seattle did a little differently. And listen, the trade they got, like the analytics people who evaluated that trade, were laughing about how bad Denver side of it was. So you can't criticize that. But to me, Darnell Washington was a top thirty player in the draft to get him an eighty-eight or whatever. Sign me up all day. Yeah. I'm the same. So let's then go to um, our next pick. By the way, Adi Adi was another name that, that is probably would have been in, in the mix somewhere here. Um, so we get all the way down to where was it? Cameron Young. This was the other fourth round pick, 123. So Technically, the Seahawks haven't picked a nose tackle yet in our in our drafts. Cameron Young is more of a, a nose tackle, more of a classic run stuffer. Um, let's go back to what you've picked before, what I've picked so far. So you've got defensive tackle, receiver, cor- like nickel corner, center, tight end. I've got defensive tackle, receiver, center, defensive end, tight end. I'm missing linebacker. I'm missing quarterback. I'm missing um, cornerback. I don't. I don't have a cornerback yet. You do. Um, so I think linebacker and cornerback would have been high on my list at this point. Um, curious. What What do you think would have been high on your list positionally right here? Um, honestly, running back. This would have been the sweet spot for running back to me. Hmm. Um, one of the players I really liked would have just gone Rashawn Johnson, who was a guy who reminded me a lot of Chris Carson and he's getting some buzz out of the bears camp. He went a couple picks before I'm trying to think of the next running back to go Israel of Akanda. Cause when they went to the draft, Chase Brown, even Kenny McIntosh would have been, but they, they, they needed running backs. Another area that I would have looked at too here is back quarterback. And this might have been the sweet spot for Thompson Robinson to fall right in because 
they address a lot of their needs by using that third round pick. And when you watch the game on uh, Thursday, you're going to see them. They, one of the most fun parts of watching preseason is watching the new quarterback play, watching the development. We're going to watch Drew Locke and Holton Ehlers. Or, and I think running back, quarterback, linebacker would have been the three I'd be looking at there. And the, the, our draft has been shifted heavy on offense, so I might have been tempted to go defense there. But Cameron Young also could have been a pick you pair him with Carter because they do things a little differently. Yeah, I I had to like think about this one because you saw. I mean, I texted you and Evan that morning, and I said Cameron Young's going to be a Seahawk. Yeah, and. I think he was a really good fit for what they want to do. I think he's a highly projectable player for them. And in a situation where you've also drafted Carter and maybe you've got some other, like Jaron Reed's a fine, like alternative. If you don't, if you can put him there, but Cameron Young could have been an option. I think I would have been hesitant to spend that much draft capital so early on the defensive line and especially for a run stuffer um at this point so i'm going to say that i would have gone quarterback at this point yeah um, it's possible that if i looked at the cornerbacks i'd come out with a different answer but um i think i would have picked dorian thompson robinson here stetson bennett was the other name that was everyone laughed at it but a lot of times in our mock drafts i was picking stetson bennett or dorian thompson robinson in the fourth round and so I'm going to stick with that and go with another hyphen. Um, I will go with Dorian Thompson Robinson. That's a good one. I think I would have been tempted to add to the defense because if you look, Washington, Schmitz, JSN. So one guy who's flipped a little bit later, but I liked him a lot in the process. I hadn't really taken a 3-4 N type yet. So I think Carl Brooks is a guy I would have liked ah. in this slot. And he ended up going a lot later. So the pick might have been – he ended up 179, which is a six-round pick. But he's a guy that I would have liked at that spot to sort of pair up with Jalen Carter. He's a guy you can kind of ease in. I'm curious. I haven't heard much about him so far in Green Bay. But I really liked him. I thought he would have been good for that 3-4 and kind of spot where they didn't really have – I think that would have made sense. I would have definitely been on board with that. Um, we now kind of get into the fifth round and things are a little bit, I mean, this is where things really shift. The Seahawks have three, two picks within three picks of each other. And so they ended up with Mike Morris and Olu. Neither one of us would have needed Olu. Um, yeah. I wouldn't have really needed Mike Morris in this world. Um, and you would have, you know, uh, you could have maybe decided you kind of just picked Carl Brooks over, uh, over a Mike Morris in your yeah. situation. Um, what do you think you would have done here? What would have been your next pri priority? I probably would have taken a running back here. And you're right. Mike Morris was a guy we didn't we weren't aware at the time, me and you, that he was 300 pounds or 290 at the time. He was at the combine at 275, which is why 
we were sort of confused by the fit. And so looking at once Morris went, I think this would have been my sweet spot for running back. And one of the guys I liked going down and finding him was Chris Rodriguez from Kentucky. Okay. And when we were looking at Will Her- uh, Will Levis as a prospect, Rodriguez is a guy that jumped out to me a lot. And I would have been comfortable with him as a guy you pair. And even Kenny McIntosh would have made sense at this spot. But obviously you could have got him in the seventh round. But I think Chris Rodriguez would have been the guy I would have been angling for at this point. I think that's a good call. Um, I think that I would have likely been looking at either corner. Um, I would have potentially looked at running back. I definitely would have been looking at linebacker and there just weren't a lot of linebackers, man. No, um, it's possible that I would have looked at uh, Travis Hodges Tomlinson. He's a nickel cornerback. He's super small though. Yeah. Um, so it's possible I would have gone with one of these corners, but there's there's not a lot that were guys that I was super fond of. So it's it's kind of just guessing at this point if I would have picked one of those guys. Mm-hmm. I think that I probably this was uh, Owen Papeo was someone I actually liked from a um, athlete standpoint, and I think it was late enough that I would have given a shot at linebacker to just have some kind of athletic profile. So I'm going to go ahead and say I didn't like I liked him better than someone like Henry Toa Toa, who is just not the same kind of uh, physical player. There's actually a guy I think he went later, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go deep pull here. I'm gonna put Ivan Pace um, was a guy I think at linebacker I really liked, and I think I would have picked a little higher than he went. So I'm gonna go ahead and put Ivan Pace here. Oh, uh, that was my next pick at linebacker. Um, we have a chance here to obviously pick back to back. Um, where, where would you've gone next? Well, you just, you just took, you just took the pick right out of my, I just went undrafted and we did so many mocks with him in this fifth round. And I thought that was a sweet spot for him the whole time. And there's Buzz at a Vikings camp. We're going to see him Thursday. He's going to play a lot. There's Buzz. He might get up to the first team by the end of training camp. He's getting first team looks already. He was a guy that was really fast, a little undersized, hard hitting. I just thought he would be a good special teamer off the bat, which is kind of what you're looking for in the fifth round. And, again, beyond the season, Brooks didn't get his option picked up. Bobby Wagner signed a one-year deal. And – who else? Devin Bush signed a one-year deal. So to me, that was an obvious spot. You wanted to take a flyer on someone. And Pace is a guy, again, a little undersized, but uh, there was a lot I liked on his film. He had a really good senior bowl from what I remember. and So that would have been my pick. Well, let's let's wrap there. I mean, we could talk a little bit longer, but let's. Let, I don't know that it makes a lot of sense to talk about sixth and seventh round picks and, and who we would have picked there. I, I don't know that I would have had a strong enough point. If you do, I'm happy to take yours down, but I don't know if I've got a good opinion there. Do you have a point of view you want to share? No, that's pretty much. 
I think this captures kind of where things would have been different. And it's interesting. I mean, what's, what's your, what's your kind of reflecting on these, these different drafts? What do you think kind of characterizes the differences between these choices? I just think me and you had a similar philosophy on what we wanted and what we thought we can get out of this draft class. And again, you can't, it's not like free agency where you can kind of plan. Like if you didn't like Jalen Carter, there was no defensive tackle in this group that really stood out. But the theme of this draft is totally different. It's just what you do in the trenches here, you solidify your center spot where you're not having probably a competition with Evan Brown or Michael Schmitz, probably the day one starter. You're solidifying toughness and you don't have that fear of defensive tackle. You have the fear of whether Jalen Carter is going to keep his head on straight. Right. But you now have projectable Jalen Carter, Draymond Jones as the middle of your defense. And you can still put, we, none of us added Cam Young, but Cam Young could have easily been one of those fourth round picks. Mm -hmm. They they lost Woods at that point. They didn't have that traditional nose tackle. You just feel so much differently about the trenches, about the middle of your interior defense. And you're still coming out with, Smith and Jigba, but there's the the one on the offense. Uh, to me, I just feel so much better about like the toughness of the team, where they project to certain positions. And again, I almost like their day three a little better than what we came out with. I like what Seattle did in day three, and maybe yep. the, the, the draft played into their strength really well. But again, you look at those first, like that second day is where that draft lost me. And I think what me and you both did, you come out of there to me far ahead. Obviously, Derek Hall's the, the, to me. He might be the pick. I think you said he might be the pick that defines their draft because he's a pick that me and you were skeptical on. I haven't heard much of him in camp. Apparently, he had a really good day today against the second string offensive line. So we we'll have to see what translates. But the center position still seems like it's a big part of what will define the season. And it's a big part of why Geno Smith's play tailed off a bit last year. And you got to go against Hargrave and Bosa. And to me, to come up with a team like that that can beat you up in the trenches and you still get Smith and Jigba, to, to me, you come out covering so many more of their needs. Their, their, their ceiling is just so much higher with this draft. And again, I love what Seattle did, but to me, I would have just been over the moon with these kind of drafts. Yeah, I, I think that's that's really well said. And I mean, like, let's run through for a second. I mean, I think reports are looking very positive on Witherspoon. Like the i'm i'm very bullish on him being a great player for the team and creating a great strength i think the biggest question with witherspoon is just durability at his size and the way he likes to play physically i think that's going to be the bigger test jsn highlighted day he's exactly who we thought he was so far again i think durability is probably the biggest question mark with him and we just got to see him stay healthy Derek hall sounds like he had a pretty good day today at camp I think that in general, he has not been showing up as someone that's getting a lot of hype. I think Boye Mafe, second round pick last year at Edge, has gotten more uh, conversation and publicity. And I think that's great. Um, you know, but we'll see what comes. I don't think Hall, I don't think there's anything that's come out about Hall that changes my opinion of him. I don't think there's anything that's come out about Hall that would make anyone say, oh, this is a bad pick. I just think. Look, my comparison to him was he looks like a straight line power rusher. And I think that 
he's maybe a rotational guy that gets you five to seven sacks in a year. That's kind of my read on who Hall is. If he ends up being a, a starter that can be a featured pass rusher, he's exceeded my expectations. I think that's possible for him to do that. Um, Zach Charbonnet has been injured, so we haven't really seen much. I, I don't know. There's a lot of people. We got Derek, who's been telling us he thinks Kenny McIntosh is going to be a better running back than Zach Charbonnet. I don't. I mean, I, that's not no shade against Kenny McIntosh. I think very highly of Zach Charbonnet. I think he's a great fit for the team, and I think people are going to love him when they see him. Um, Anthony Bradford, Jeff, signs aren't good. This is something that's undercovered in camp. Um, reality is that, um, he, like there has been, um, there has been opportunity for a backup guard to come in. There's been a couple times that Damian Lewis has been out or someone else. Phil Haynes has moved over to left guard in those situations. And Jake Curhan has come in at right guard. If that was center, then Olu, Olu would be the starting center in that situation. Bradford looks like he's third string at best um, at guard. That's not great news. Yeah, and guard is a position where guys can come in and hit the ground running, and we've seen mm-hmm. it a lot. And the thing with Bradford was he was physical, but he I think what stood out to us so much was his athleticism. And it seems like he's a little rawer than maybe we were hoping for. He might be more of a developmental prospect and they took him pretty high and his, his numbers off the, were off the charts in terms of just like his athleticism at that size. But there hasn't been almost any reports about him even making a good play in camp. And it seems like, yeah, you're right. Every time uh, Damian Lewis has missed a couple of days, he was sick one day and Jake Curran was the guy and, I know sometimes they ease people in, but it seems like he's got a bigger learning curve than maybe we realized. And well, and and look, he was pass protection was always kind of a question for him. He was maybe more of a run blocker than a pass protector. And uh but comparison, Phil Haynes in his first OTAs, Dwayne Brown was talking about this guy. He was talking about Phil and like not that Phil Haynes is some second coming, but he stood out right away. Jake Curhan was getting starting reps and getting a lot of reps at right tackle and even at guard early in camp. He was earning that and he, there was a little buzz around him. So I don't think it's doom and gloom around Anthony Bradford, but there has not been there's not been a lot of buzz about Anthony Bradford and what always is the proof in the pudding is, are you getting snaps? And he's not getting starter snaps in any situation, even with guys out. So a little cautious there, Cam Young. You could kind of depends on how you want to look at this one, Jeff. Pete Carroll's comment on Cameron Young was it was night and day when he put the pads on. So on your positive glass half full it's like okay so he looked good with the pads on glass half empty he was not looking good without the pads on and is this just he's relatively better or that he's actually really good i think we're gonna see like we're gonna see there so i think that the, the i'm not worried on this but 
I don't think you can say Cam Young has been a standout in camp to this point. No, and the way he, the kind of player he is, he's not the kind of player that's going to flash in a padless practice, unfortunately. He's not, he's got almost nothing in the pass rush department. He is a heavy handed guy who's going to win in the trenches. And when your pads aren't on, he can't knock guys around. His strength is the, like how how strong his hands are, and without those pads, he's just not going to flash. And he is the nose tackle, right? So, based on Pete's comments and all, how Jaron Reed's going, it seems like they kind of shifted towards a different style nose tackle. It seems like Cam at his ceiling even this year is probably just a rotational nose tackle to fill in. And you're hoping maybe he can be the long term guy projectable there, but. It'll be interesting to see him in game, preseason games, see if he stands out in early down plays, but I don't see him as much of a factor this year unless the Jaron Reed thing is a disaster and they need to get heavier up in the line of scrimmage. But it seems pretty clear that Pete's calling Jaron Reed one of their best nose tackles in the league, which made us all laugh a lot. I think there's reasons why he might be better at that than the 3-4 end, but saying that is just comedic at this point. Yeah. But it's pretty clear that Jaron Reed's going to be the starter and Cam Young is going to eat up snaps. And you're hoping by the end of the year, maybe Cam's pushing for starting time. But I think it's going to, he's not going to be a guy that's going to flash early. Yeah. Well, and, and moving down to Mike Morris, there has been some good buzz with Mike. Uh, you know, Pete's talked about him being smart. Uh, you know, Clint Hurts talked about being really eager to see how he does. Um, I think they see him as primarily someone who can help in the run. Um, so he's six foot six. He's proven that he has good pad level for a tall guy, which they had some concerns about. So I think there's reason to be curious about Mike Morris and whether he can be a bigger impact player than most fifth round picks could be. Olu at center. I think this is not looking great. I don't think it's looking terrible. I think it's looking – I'll tell you a couple of things. Uh, you look at some of the camp tape, he does not look nearly as powerful as Evan Brown, You know, even just pushing the, sh- the blocking sled around. Now, that's not what makes or breaks a player, but we've seen jo- little Joey Hunt get shit-canned enough by opposing defensive tackles. I think you and I both want someone with a little sand in their pants when they're blocking up there. And Olu has not necessarily looked like he is as tough and and physical in that way. Evan Brown is checked in at 320 pounds. And I think that that's really pretty meaningful. And this guy, people forget, but he was a top five center by PFF grade when he started at center. It's not like this guy's a nobody. And we don't need him to be an all pro, but can he just be solid throughout the season and not get pushed around? So I think Olu, the arrow's down a little bit there, but we'll see what happens. He has had a left wrist injury. Maybe that's affecting him a little bit. Um, But there are some questions. I mean, he had questions about his athletic ability coming in, and that's part of why he slipped. Uh, You know, he may be a backup center. Yeah, and one of the things I know Ray Roberts was talking about with Olu is just how smart he is and how well he can adjust to the scheme, but you don't really hear anything about his physical advantages or stuff in his game. So Roberts was saying that he thinks at some point Olu will take over as the center, but 
when you're watching some of these clips, it's just you're not seeing that any physical dominant qualities. And so center position is one I'm really eager to watch in these preseason games because Seahawks are not right now. The running back room is pretty beaten up. Uh, the tight end room is mostly, you know, who the starters are going to be mostly backup. The quarterback group is not exciting. Uh, I don't know how exciting the backup tackle situation is for Seattle. So the center group, like Evan Brown's a guy. Yeah, he can be a competent starter. But again, we are hoping for a plus guy that you can build with those two tackles. But I think Brown at 320 pounds. And you want, one of the things that really hampered the second half of the season was Austin Blythe physical limitations. Mm-hmm. And Blythe was really smart at the beginning of the year. He was really sound. But as the season went on, his body started to wear down. And you saw him get beaten up game after game after game in the second half and how quickly it just blew up their offense. So having Brown, who's a bigger guy, will help them a little bit. And some of their teams are going to have to play. If they play Philly this year, they have to play San Francisco twice. They're going to have to play Aaron Donald in week one. I don't think you were Olu is the guy you want in there right away. So I think you're hoping you see something out of Olu more, and he's going to maybe he projects as a long-term option, maybe he projects as a backup. Either way, if he's a long-term offensive lineman, that's a good use of a fifth-round pick. But, again, there's a reason he dropped to the fifth round, and it was physical limitations. And you hear a lot about his smarts and how quickly he can adapt, but you need to see him be able to hold up against some of these monsters you're going to have to play against. And some of the video we've seen just – doesn't indicate he's there quite yet. So curious. They play three pretty interesting teams in the preseason. I'm curious how he looks if he gets on the field. Yeah, I think that's that's all true. I think in their last two picks, Jarek Reed, tough for this kid, six-round pick. His He is a nickel and a safety, and, and he can interchange between those. And what's happened in camp? The number one pick at the fifth spot in the overall draft, it moved to nickel. What happened to the starter from all of last year at nickel? He moved to safety. Uh, you've got potentially Jamal Adams coming back. You got Julian Love. You got numbers at safety. You got numbers at nickel. Julian Love can play nickel. Uh, Kobe Bryant can play nickel. Devin Witherspoon can play nickel. Uh, you can go on. I think there's other guys. I think Trey Brown could ultimately, or Michael Jackson could ultimately potentially play nickel. Um, so, I think it's going to be tough for Jack Reed to make the team. We'll, we'll, I have not heard much about him that would make it stand out. We'll see if that changes in the games. Um, Kenny McIntosh had a really strong start to camp. Got a lot of people really excited. Had a pretty scary knee injury during the uh, mock game. And they just, the word out today is that he'll be out a couple of weeks, just a knee sprain. So they're feeling pretty good about that. Uh, but that's looking like it could be a solid pick. Um, and given the injuries that they're facing at the running back position, they can't have too many of those guys at this point. So, you know, look, uh, you're never going to almost never going to hit every single pick in your draft class. Um, six came pretty close last year, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, but my take following the draft this year after reflection was, I think they nailed the first round and I'm a little worried that the rest of the draft are going to be role players and that there's not a lot of impact players there. That is still, that is maybe even more my point of view now. Um, And I'm hoping that some guys can jump out there and show some, some real starting, some real elite, you know, uh, ability like impact ability. But 
I think that in general, they got some lower ceiling guys. Mike Morris is probably the best example of a guy they picked later that could end up out outperforming his draft position. I'm not sure I could make the case that anyone else is a good, good bet to do that at this point. Yeah. And really the only other one probably would have been Kenny McIntosh, but that's, that's not running backs are such a, you see what's going on with them around the league. And there are people in our chat who are very optimistic that McIntosh will be a better pro than Charbonnet. And I know Jim Nagy was a guy, he said they had McIntosh graded higher than senior bull boards. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think I think your analysis was spot on, and that's why I come back to I think Derek Hall may be the most important player in this draft class because mm-hmm. I think Witherspoon's going to be a really good player. I think everyone just I know they think of him like he's a nickel corner. He's such a unique player in terms of just what he can do there. Again, it comes down to whether his body can hold up, and apparently his leg was in a wrap today, and it might have just been preventative, but. Like when you watch Antoine Winfield senior play and you watch Paul Lalu and Earl, just like those guys who can just, they're like the Tasmanian devil. They change the total energy of your defense. Smith and Jigba, I just think is so smooth, but Derek Hall is that sweet spot where the Seahawks had him graded as a first round pick. Yep. That wasn't just one of their usual defense that came out from John Boyle as I know as the team reporter, but he's so and they only had 15 guys with first round picks. So they had him as a top 15 grade. Yeah. So that's the spot where a lot of us, obviously the Charbonnet pick, I, I still don't think it was really defensible, but I think, and me and you had him going the third, third round in other drafts, but that spot where their trenches were that empty, I think that was a mistake. But again, I still like him as a player a lot. We talked about him really early, but that Derek Hall pick is where when you're picking the top 40, you're looking at an instant starter. You're hoping for a starter there. And me and you, we end up with Brian Branch, John Michael Schmitz. Those are good players. Those are guys who look like they're going to start for a long time. So if that pick becomes just – if he's the backup, if Boye Mafia hits and this thing is real and they just extended Nuosu, you're looking at your third edge guy. And if he's just a rotational guy who gets five sacks – that pick is going to haunt this draft class because that was a real opportunity to really add to this group. And look at the second round last year, they get Kenneth Walker who's rookie of the year. And now if Mafe is the, if Mafe is the starter, Daryl Taylor, he's his, he's progressing back. That could be a really good group, but that's the pick that really makes or breaks us. And again, it's going to be really curious to see what he is because he's been relatively quiet in camp up until really today. And they might have overcompensated for his leadership and his positive impact on the team. And now they didn't really have a lot of leaders, but that's the, I think that's looking at, that's the most important pick of this draft class. And I think that's, I think that's probably right. And I do, I mean, I look at where you and I ended up picking in this redo, you know, draft and John Michael Schmitz, People could say, oh, we're doing this revisionist. We're doing this based on what we've heard in camp. Honestly, not. Like these were, if you watched our pre-draft mocks, all the ones we did, these are people we talked about incessantly. And John Michael Schmitz is absolutely on track to be the starting center for the Giants. For a playoff team, for a divisional, a division championship contending team. Um, Thule, for me, uh, all reports are that he's, battling for a starting position he's gotten really pretty amazing reports from guys like bosa and, and other folks in that camp 
um, Darnell Washington is looking like we thought he might look like in the NFL, a totally different beast than everyone else that plays that position. That is just, if you can get somebody who is an outlier in a league that is full of outliers, that's a big deal. Um, Tyreek Hill runs faster than anyone else in the world. And it matters like, uh, DK Metcalf is a physical freak compared to everyone else. It matters. So I think that I look at those guys, you threw in Brian branch in there. Also a guy that's looking like he may be a starter for the, the lions. That's very, very different than hoping that Derek Hall can be more than a rotational guy on the edge and that Zach Charbonnet can be a solid rotational running back. So yeah, I, I, I Anybody that watches the live Real Hawk Talk coverage of the draft, first day was pretty fun. Second day was mostly me, and I was I wasn't happy, man. I didn't I did not love our second slash third round. And you and I did the third day, and I think you're right. I think they made some good picks, and I think you could even argue they made better picks than what we ended up taking in our redo draft. I do have some questions about whether they're going to regret the quarterback situation. I think that Stetson Bennett and Dorian Thompson Robinson are looking like those are guys that might have more than just your average backup potential. But um, for the most part, third day seems fine. It's really that second day that's going to be interesting to watch in time. And none of this is hoping that we're right and the Seahawks are wrong. I think we're both hoping Derek Hall is a all pro level edge rusher and Zach Charbonnet is, you know, every bit a pro bowl running back. So we'll see how that plays out over time. Okay, dude. Well, we've gone past the hour. I appreciate you coming on tonight. If folks haven't already, please give the show a like go over to patreon.com slash Hawk blogger, sign up right now, get immediate access to the Slack channel. You want to do that right now because folks, we will be giving tickets away. There's a game this Thursday. We will be giving some tickets away to that game and then go to Patreon members. So patreon.com slash Hawkblogger. Join right now. You can get access and potentially get tickets to the game and get access to talk to all the folks in the Slack channel during the game and after. We are going to plan to do three shows this week. This was number one. We're going to try to do another show on Wednesday night as a preview. We'll take Patreon questions at that time. So if you're listening and you're a patron, we will give you a chance to ask patron questions in Slack and we'll answer them on the show. Hopefully that will be the, the long awaited return of Nathan Ernst, who's been uh, having a challenge when we're doing the show. He's been busy, so we'll bring him back. And then Thursday, I'm going to do a live pod during the show, do a little play by play conversation as sorry, not during the show, during the game. And Jeff, do you think you're going to be able to make it for that? I, I will be. I'm around Thursday night. It's right late at night, so I got the whole night ahead of me. Awesome. So you'll get Jeff and I talking in your ear as we watch the game, and uh, and we'll kind of talk about how the game's progressing and what we're uh, what we're seeing. So you will get plenty more Seahawks talk from us the rest of this week. Until then, I just want to thank Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. I am Brian Enhauser at Hawk Blogger on Twitter. Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful night and go Hawks.